0: Continuing with our contemplation of the past. We've been spending a few days primarily highlighting that effort, those qualities which uh, allow for the experience of calm. steadiness, what can be called uh, samatha or or generally samadhi, the the development of an unshakable composed abiding. We can hear words in the meditation world, we can hear the word vipassana, we can hear the word samatha, vipassana which means vi, into, pasana, see, that, the seeing into, or the insight, insight aspect of uh, meditation, samatha, the calming aspect of meditation. sometimes we can feel confused by these actually they're, they're very related and they're not opposed to each other they both emerge from the, the, the common quality of mindfulness the common quality of presence of mind awareness when we look at them as as uh, diametrically opposed and uh, or as, as separate entities we can get quite confused what we should be doing. Should I be doing insight meditation? Should I be doing calming meditation? Am I doing calming meditation or am I doing insight meditation? Ajahn our teacher in Thailand, uses very earthy examples. He says, uh, Samatha Vipassana is like a log. One end of the log is Samatha and the other end of the log is Vipassana. If you pick up the log, you pick up both of them. Eventually you might just start off picking up one side and then the other side, but they're, they're related, they're part of one thing. And even though we've been doing calming meditation, or at least been trying at least just reflecting on that possibility if you notice that for it to be skillful for us to be skilled at that or for it to be effective there has to be a reflective aspect to it what we call vitaka bringing the mind vichara what is vichara? but the reflective aspect is the wisdom aspect of samadhi the wisdom aspect of calming that allows us to adjust when we're too tense allows us to calm down allows us to put in a little more effort when things are, are, are too droopy without some reflective capacity which is an insight aspect of the, the insight the, the, the wisdom aspect of, of good someone who's skilled at calming the mind In vipassana, we might think, I'm "Not going to fool around with samadhis. Get lost in jhana for five years. Just think, I might get lost in bliss for five years." Oh. Oh. I don't know many who are having that problem, but theoretically, we could worry. What if I get lost in bliss for five years? <laughs> <laughs> so, just to avoid that, we. Diligently, <laughs> we diligently avoid kind of allowing the mind to get too calm, just in case. We drop into bliss. How effective is our insight going to be? How, how, how powerful is our sword going to be? Another image that Ajahn Chah gave for the relationship of vipassana samatha, calm and insight, is a knife or a sword. The edge part, the sharp part, is like Vipassana. It's able to discern. It's able to recognize nuances of difference. Able to penetrate, to cut. But the back, the edge, back rim of the sword gives the strength without that powerful, what do you call that, top part of the blade? There might be a name for it, the part of the blade, without that being strong, then there's something to work with to sharpen up. There's some strings. you got to kind of thin little old sword and you kind of come up against some tough conditions. It just snaps. It takes quite a, quite a quality, quite qualities of composure, steadiness, some degree of that, some degree of samatha, of samadhi, to to be able to penetrate and really recognize the true nature of worry and doubt. Subtle, subtle perceptions lurking in the edges of consciousness that are telling us we're this way or that way or we're hopeless cases. There is no vipassana without some samatha, without some quality of composure there is no real skillful samatha no skillful calm without some reflectiveness the two work together sometimes we can recognize that, that we're putting a little more emphasis on one than the other or the other analogy for the relationship of samatha vipassana I've given, given to the, the log the, uh, the blade or just our humanness of having two legs. Sometimes with more weight on one leg, sometimes more weight on the other leg. Sometimes one leg's a little stronger, sometimes one leg's a little weaker. Sometimes we have a little more reflective capacity, a little more tendency in our nature to inquire and a little more busy thinking so it's not so easy to calm down. Sometimes we have in our nature more that capacity to just hold steady, to calm, to enjoy savoring that quality of just well-being. And the mind isn't so keen to kind of move out of that, to really bring forth the energy to inquire, to check out, to look more deeply. these first few days we're highlighting because in our culture there's so little um, the times that we live in so little learning to simplify learning to let go learning to be with something simple like walking something simple like relaxing feeling the breath body calming, steadying, enjoying in a way that isn't the enjoyment of just seeking all over the place, the enjoyment from letting go of chasing after the external world, letting go of contending with the external world, learning, learning to allow the mind to turn and stay with a neutral anchor like the body, like sound, like the breath. Tanisha touched on uh, some of this last night but uh, we might notice when we if we're calm notice if we're calm but we might notice that which seems to obstruct the calm that which seems to block us from um, from being able to enjoy the simplicity of walking of sitting of being with and these are these are uh, classically uh, referred to as niwaranas or hindrances. I'll go over some of these more technical aspects of the uh, of the Buddhist teachings, just with a with a reminder. Some of us have heard them a million times, and and we just sort of oh god, not again. the five hindrances, the, the five skillful ways of overcoming, distracting thought, the five analogies of the burden of the hindrances and the freedom and the beauty of being free from them. And there's all kinds of technical lists in the Buddhist teachings. I think our relationship with these is, is uh, one should reflect on it before, before we enter in again. I see this in the long haul in the long haul if one is really interested in going for refuge and committing one's life little by little gathering in the various aspects of one's life so that uh, transformation purification and and freedom of heart can, can happen little by little then we plant seeds and there's going to be times when these lists just seem like too much Oh God! Should I do this? Should I do that? This list, that list, this hindrance, that hindrance, and that's all right. We listen. Some seeds get planted, and they go through, and that's all right. Actually, if you boil up every one of these lists, just take them all, every one of them—the ten virtues and the kind of eightfold path and the five spiritual faculties and the five powers and the seven factors of enlightenment—and just chuck them all in the in the in the pot. And if you boil it up, you, you just get one thing. So if you can't remember anything else if everything else is gone, just just remember, you know, kind of being awake. <laughs> <laughs> and it all and it all comes down there. That. And that's fine. So sometimes we're not able to we're not able to handle any more details. And we just trust that the big problem of all suffering is avidya not seeing clearly it's a cloudiness the absolute medicine for everything is bringing awareness bringing attention illuminating everything body, mind, the universe just with presence we can't remember anything else just that, buddha That means awake what happens when the sun comes up the flower bodhetti it opens so just being awake okay now if we can do that, that's wonderful. And it is and it's the ultimate and it is it's what it's doable. The usefulness why I'd like us to persevere over the years, over the years with these different categories, these different reflections, is over the years there are wonderful safeguards, they're wonderful ways of deepening our appreciation for the various postures of mind body, the various strategies, the various movements and configurations and contortions that we get ourselves into, that our fellow beings get ourselves into. Over time, when we use these, these very skillful mandalas of reflection, they have a balance in them. They're very safe, because that way we, we, in time if we really reflect on this, on this we, we, it ends up illuminating every corner of our psyche, our spirit. We don't have to kind of take it all in one gulp. We can, we can take little bits at a time and when we get confused, as I said, remember it's, it's basically presence. So I've heard some of these till I'm blue in the face and sometimes I'm fed up with them. Over the years I've become really to appreciate just this simple reflection on hindrance. And, and these different ones we'll be doing in the course of the retreat. And, and, and if we are going to bother to memorize something, just for, again, the sake of a lifetime of coming back and reflecting, why not remember five things? Why not remember this? Why not remember that? These are, these are powerful dharmas, powerful reflective objects which have little mirrors in them if we memorize them just for the sake of being able to say look what I know (laughs) and so that we can beat someone else in an argument prove that we know more do you know the seven factors of enlightenment? (laughs) 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 Then that's called picking up the snake at the wrong end. But if we if we do this for the sake of a, a gesture of we're going exploring and there's been some great great explorers great seekers before us and there's a kind of ancient path and we can we can we can make use of some maps we still have to walk the way we still have to find our own way but we can make use of some maps just to reflect on the, these basic movements of mine of the, of the Nawaranas are our uh, covetousness wanting and it more refers to the kind of the sensual wanting can we get a feeling for what that does to our samadhi just get a feeling If, if, if we're down here intending to experience calm and then the mind wants to see the seashore wants the invigoration of kind of climbing up the mountain wants to be on the telephone and hear so and so's voice wants to recreate a, a kind of that fantasy of a kind of being with in an intimate way with a beloved one Wanting ice cream. Now, there's no judgment on any of this, but it is what, what it is. What happens if the mind is kind of wanting? Can, can we get a feeling for that? The kind of fever of it, of wanting? Even a more subtle wanting, even sitting down here and wanting to get calm, wanting to get calm, where is the rapture, wanting rapture, wanting rapture? What effect does it have? Notice wanting tends to, the, the, the movement of wanting implies, it is a perception of the mind that implies it's not here, it's out somewhere else. It implies that, that we're in a desert and it, it's out. It's out. No. So, so this quality, that out of that, how can one get that sense of being filled with the beauty of what he is? Do you see how those two energies don't, don't go together? There can be a thrill in wanting. There is a samadhi in wanting. The wanting samadhi, the desired samadhi, it's, it's absorbing. One can be absorbed when one is obsessed. And I mean, it's so powerful, we might not hear anything else. That's samadhi. But it's not semi-samadhi. It's not a samadhi that leads to freedom. It's a samadhi that, that, that is driven by a fever, wanting like that. We all have samadhi, but we all don't necessarily have have samadhi on that which is calming, brightening. Wanting's always pointing out somewhere, and rarely is it seen for what it is. So in this reflection, we're not judging it. I mean, in, in the course of our later insight practices, we're we're going to value the energy of wanting. It's part of it has its place, but we're not when it's immediately taken as me then when that comes into the mind, boom, we're off with it. It's a twin. I suppose it's a twin. Mirror, it's mirror image. Or it's opposite. He is not wanting. Ill will. Aversion. What does that do to our samadhi? What is aversion? When the mind is 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 being moved by vindictiveness, by wanting to get back, by wanting to destroy, by wanting to push away, by resenting, by not liking, not liking consciousness, not liking the body, not liking people, not liking shrines. Not liking. I mean, that's not fertile ground for deep calm. But not begin to judge. But can we, can we, can we at least recognize that? If we think, oh, I don't want to deal with those things. I want samatha. Well, guess what? These, this is what blocks samatha. If we want to know about calm, in the end, we've got to know about the very things which disturb it. The third one, which I know we know, dullness, drowsiness. The classic words in the scriptures, the English translations are classically sloth and torpor, words I never, ever (laughs) use, ever, except on meditation retreat. (laughs) But, I mean, you know, it's, it's just the droopy, the dull, the heavy the fuzzy the stuck <laughs> and to, to, to recognize that to recognize how remember that the essence of samatha is actually it's not just a state of dead calm notice that the essence of it is, is alertly vigilantly being with drinking with relaxing with brightening with how it is. There can be a kind of calm in sloth and torpor, but it's not a real being with. It's a shutdown. Sometimes it's because we're tired. But anyway, let's go through the list. Then its uh, opposite or mirror image is, is the opposite the, like the flies that are bouncing off the window. Don't have many in this hall at the moment. But we know that sound, the that feeling of a consciousness is agitated, can't settle. The mind can't bear to stay anywhere. It's like the attention definite disorder quadrupled. And and, and and to sort of stay anywhere so long, the, the 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 reality of that. We we're not able to bear the pain. So the mind thinks it's found relief by just continually moving, skimming, searching for anything stimulating. And there's a kind of samadhi in that, but it's not peaceful. And the fifth one is called Vitikita, which is called uh It's doubt, it's a a mind that's paralyzed by kind of doubting. I don't know if this really works. Now doubt can be useful if it's doubt to inquire, doubt to investigate. That's doubt that's dissolving itself to point the attention, to look from different angles. That's a skillful, that's a wholesome quality. The doubting, the inquiring, the questioning. That, that, that is a meditation in and of itself. What we're talking about here is the kind of obsessive, paralytic thought that keeps us from ever doing anything. Oh, I don't know. This is really useful. We're not even really inquiring. We're just being tangled up by doubt. Oh, God. I mean, let me see. I don't know if I should watch it. The nostrils or The crown. supposedly where you get enlightened but maybe that's a little too adventurous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the root chakra is a bit too fiery. just I mean that's even sounding more more reflective than it is it's just it's just when we're just we're, we're just paralyzed we, it stops us from ever giving ourselves to trying it out because the mind is doubting. oh God I don't know is, it, is this right I, oh. And then, and then it gets this just, just fuzzy and lost and confused it's just a confused doubting mind now if, if when these when these hindrances are subside the mind is naturally in Samadhi it is the case I'm quoting the Buddha and we can check it out it is the case when there isn't desire walking when there isn't aversion when there isn't sleepiness when there isn't agitation sweeping us around, when the mind isn't paralyzed by doubt, that is samadhi. We're not being obstructed. Wherever the mind turns to, we'll just be with that. We'll be with this. We'll be with this. So in 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 our skillful cultivation of calm, for the sake of a lifetime, not making this a heavy practice, Learning how to recognize these energies, and and learning learning how to nurse them, learning how to heal them, learning how to skillfully work with them. Desire, what desire is always saying the real treasure's out there somewhere. So the classic medicine, the classic medicine for desire, if it's a form, it's just remember whatever I'm going for is, is dissolving. It's all impermanent. Or, or to remember the desire telling us, it's wonderful out there. It's just to also remember the, the unattractive aspect. We don't understand, we don't have this in our culture. But, but to re- Or to remember the painful aspect, the dangerous aspect, the fever. Just to remember the fever of continually having to be chasing after something. That's exhausting. And oftentimes what it is we're so busy chasing, we've only seen one aspect of it. We haven't seen its true dispassionate totality. For example, if we're kind of just going wild over, you go in monastery for 15 years, you can go wild over ice cream. How many times have I kind of, can you we've got to get some ice cream? walking down the street do you see any ice cream shops (laughs) we find an ice cream shop and I have the biggest one and then, then I don't feel so good (laughs) I don't want to hear it Kitty Sorrow (laughs) I don't feel so good (laughs) you could have had a small one (laughs) (laughs) now when one just sees ice cream as Nibbana, then you're going. But what, what happens if one drops a crystal in, you know, how's the stomach in your sorrow? You know, or, or you know, what happens when you eat the ice cream? How did you feel last time you ate it? <laughs> you know, these are other ways of, of, of reflecting. Just to, So why is it in the scripture that, that they always, when someone's sitting down to do calming meditation, notice how they always say, leaving aside covetousness for the world. This is profound. It's not just a throwaway line. You know, actually learning to see the cause of relationship here. When we have unconsciously not left that aside, we're still kind of, you know, leaving aside, but realizing the fever of that. And even if it, even if it, still, if it still happens, at least being aware of what that energy is. Not hating that energy. That energy is part of our energy nature, but it's important to get to know it. Aversion, the medicine for 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 aversion, is if we're caught up in aversion to just kick ourselves. Be calm, you (laughs) hateful one. (laughs) No God. You're a loser, kid. Look at you. You know, when when the mind is in when, when the mind is caught in resenting, when the mind is down, when the mind is, is negative, the medicine is actually learning to generate the balm of friendliness. You can't kick it into samadhi. It might be, but the samadhi will be a forced one, a brittle one. It won't be a healing one. It won't really be that useful. So if we recognize the irritability of consciousness that that seems to obstruct us from being able to really experience the quality of well-being, then then we generate a friendliness, a gentleness, a kindness for the body, a kindness even for the mad mind, kindness for irritation, even be willing just to kind of receive that. And as Tenisro said last night, and this is very important, let's don't make the goal of this whole thing just to get into samadhi, because as we'll see, I mean, even if you get a good peaceful state, it's not the end of the road. But the very, the, the very willingness to explore, to try, to stay with, to be patient, are generating, developing, building all these to others invisible balamitas, invisible virtues that become part of our spiritual body. They're being developed. And uh, whether, we, whether we get the state we want to or not, let's don't put so much importance on that, but on that kind of willingness to cultivate, to practice. So it might be the state of uh, just being friendly. And dullness, when, when, one is, when one is really dull and heavy, and sometimes it might work, but you don't usually just say relax. Sometimes when there's dullness, that will take you more into it. Sometimes to get perspective on that state takes, takes a little more energy to say, what's happening? To work with that state, to open the eyes, to put a little more effort into posture, to stand up, or to even a splash water in the face to see what happens. so that one can can, can balance that energy. It's not always the case. Sometimes we can if we're quite skilled. We need to be quite skilled. Sometimes if there is dullness, if there is enough inner vitality, but there's inner energy, the body-mind process is dull. Sometimes we can relax enough that the mind stays bright and still hold the hold the bodily form as we breathe in and but that's still a kind of effort it's a kind of vigor it's not really just letting go these are fine points again restlessness what is a natural medicine for restlessness or the image the Buddha gives if you, if you have a fire that's getting out of control and you, and you're worried about it do you go and throw grass on it Dry grass or petrol. If the, if the mind is agitated, you don't want to make big lots of effort. Medicine for agitation is soothing, calming, giving space to. Or sometimes, you know, you might think, well, what about the case if you're agitated? I want to go on a brisk walk. Well, that's all right. That uh, you're not fighting the agitation; one's allowing that to. Allowing that to to kind of move the body. One's just dealing with that energy as it then will calm down. So when the mind is really agitated, one is at least in meditation, that's not the time to start doing all kinds of uh, investigating practices because it just leads to more agitation. So the Buddha classically says when the mind is agitated, reflect more on just stilling. The mind being still, patient. Steady. So you're generating from within the medicine for that energy. Vidika <laughs> doubt. If we do feel realize we're being kind of paralyzed with doubt, then, 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 then one thing that we can do is, is recognize it as doubt. Then that's not doubt. I know you. Then you're operating from a place of confidence. There is doubt. Look at that. And then, then bringing forth the thought. It is wholesome to be able to cultivate some steadiness wherever one cultivates it whether it's the crown chakra or the root chakra or the chest it doesn't really matter recognize doubt as it is to bring forth a thought of yes this is blameless it is wholesome to cultivate sustained presence of mind it is wholesome to learn how to relax that's not doubt it is wholesome to learn to be with how it is for the rest of my life if I'm not with how things are, then I won't be present for my life. So it's, it's wholesome to cultivate the ability to be with how it is. That's not doubt. Reflection on what is wholesome. When we realize something in us can discern what is useful, what isn't useful. We have some sense. We have some intuitive recognition of what is skillful, what is not skillful. This is classically the a medicine that helps us realize we're not just one total doubting not there's much more knowing within us than we realize. Even our capacity to know doubt. Hmm. That's right. That's doubt. So there's something in us that knows. The images, they're just images, but I think they're useful to remember. The images that the Buddha left us he says when we're when we're totally when we're bound by these hindrances. Doesn't mean to say when they're present, when we're bound by them. What's called a hindrance is not a curse. Let's don't panic. Gosh, I'm hindered, I'm hindered, I'm hindered. It is it is it's and this is the danger of this kind of thing, and I, and I think, oh God, maybe I should have kept my mouth shut. But we go through this. But you know they're called hindrances when they're not really noticed. As they're noticed, as they're worked with, then they become that which teaches us, that which develops our skills. So let's, don't panic. Everybody's got them. And they and they become important teachers. But when we're bound up in them, when we don't really reflect on them, when we're just totally, blindly led by them, then the Buddha says it's like being in debt. It's like we owe somebody something and they... And they We're always worried about not being able to pay back. We're not free. He said, or if it's like being um, sick, like being really ill, in pain, not having energy. Or it's like being in prison, being locked up, not being able to go where we want to go, being separated from our loved ones. Or it's like being a slave, somebody always telling us what to do, not having any independence. Or it's like being in a perilous, being someone wealthy, but who finds himself having to traverse a perilous place, having to traverse a desert, being in danger, not knowing if we're going to make it. He said that when we learn to see these hindrances drop away, when we actually learn to not be so shaken by them, not be so identified with them, then he said it's like being out of debt. And actually finding that we have enough resources to support our family. This is the image the Buddha gave. He says it's like being well. And being able to reflect, gosh, I was sick. Now I have energy. I can walk to and fro. He says it's like being having reflected that I was in prison. It's like realizing I'm out of prison. Gosh, I'm free. Or it's like having been a slave, having been totally underneath someone's domination in realizing is independence i can now be guided by what feels what needs to be done or it's like being in a safe land having to realize i've been through dangerous territory and now i'm 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 in a safe place We have a, a rare opportunity to, to study but to, to study this body mind to be with this process to explore what does it mean to really let go of chasing to learn to enjoy simplicity to learn to calm or refine some of these different qualities hindering struggling to learn to reflect on them learn to balance them to learn to be patient and compassionate with these energies natural energies and if we can't remember anything else then never mind just let it all blow through and just try to remember one thing just try to remember being awake And if we go to sleep and need to rest, wonderful, rest. But then when we wake up rejoice, ah, I have another moment to be awake. Because all of these qualities, all the Buddhist teachings, every single discourse that was ever given, every single insight that ever happened, emerges out of being awake and subsides back into this timeless quality which is really at the root of everything, is being Here awake